Hello and welcome back to On Design. Hello, I'm Stuart Chapman and this is episode 9 of the Big Pictures On Design podcast the podcast which is on, around and near the topic of design. So we are back after a brief hiatus um, as we secured our next guest, who I'm delighted to say is the fantastic John Mathers. Uh, There are very few people with more experience of the design industry than John. After beginning his career in design client-side at Safeway Supermarket, now Morrison's, uh, he went on to become chief exec of two design agencies, Brand Union and then Homes and Merchant. And then after that, went on to represent design on an international level at the Design Business Association and also the Design Council. His current focus is the British Design Fund, so we started there. Well, the British Design Fund is a, a, an early stage venture capital fund aimed at supporting reasonably early stage British product design and it's filling a real gap in the market because there is there are enough venture capital funds you can mm. shake your shake a stick at <laughs> that support technology or digital ventures yeah. but there literally is nothing out there that is supporting tangible product innovation we kicked it off at the beginning of the year it took us quite a while because we obviously it needs to be FSA approved and um, all the regulatory stuff in place Um, but uh, we've now raised over half a million pounds um, and we see that as a sort of proof of concept stage so Mm. we'll invest in I suppose between six and ten different um, ventures and the aim is that we will build that up to something more meaningful um, in the very near future. So I'm not going to say what we think it could be, but it could be significantly bigger than that on an ongoing basis because we feel that there's a real need to, uh, uh, to... to, to make this happen. And why uh, the design fund? What's the importance of the word design in there? Well, two things really. It's the fact that um, uh, Britain is always, uh, has always has a huge reputation in the world for design. And I think that the uh, I'm very clear that you know you put the user at the heart of any new product that you develop, but the thing that makes it a success is whether people will use it how they use it, whether they'll use it again, whether mm. they'll tell their friends about it. And to me, that is the thought and care that goes into the design of how it is built, how it's used, how it's stored, how it's kept, etc., etc. And I think one of the things that we find quite often when we're, when we're talking to companies, you know, early stage startup companies, is um, they often have a great idea they get it to a certain stage, um, and it's then the final element that is going to make it a success or not. And that's, mm. I think, for me, why the word design is an essential part of the British Design Fund. And it's more than a fund, isn't it? Because I saw that you're doing, a, you're planning to have mentoring oh, systems sure. as well. Uh, absolutely, and that that actually, um, I think, I think in some ways that diff- I think there are some funds where there's a mentoring approach as well. But but we're really serious about this. Uh, we discovered it from the um, the Spark program that we ran at the Design Council. It's, uh, it makes such a difference um, if you're actually sitting with the organisation, helping them 
pushing them, uh, talking about sales, being clear about who's responsible, um, and just giving them this sort of advice and help that um, will make a difference, really. Um, and I think that the, the bad old days where you just gave people some money and hoped that things would be okay <laughs> are long gone. Um, so, yeah, no, it's, it's very much a two-part thing. It's about giving them the sort of support they need, but then giving them the um, access to the sort of people, sort of mentors who will help them make a difference. And so it sounds like you're not at a stage yet where you're actually, you haven't yet funded anything. Uh, well, we're just on the cusp. Oh, are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We've, uh, 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 the last couple of weeks we've been doing our Dragon's Den equivalent. Mm. Um, so we've, we're just going through the due diligence now. We have to, you know, we decide on who we want to invest in. Okay. And then we have to do the due diligence to, diligence to make sure they're not some, you know, dodgy director yes. or, uh, or, you know. <laughs> Wanted for wanted in America top ten. Yeah, or we need something. to watch out for those. Absolutely. So, so, but I don't think that I don't think that'll happen. Um, and so, yes, it's very exciting. I suspect that by September two thousand and seventeen, we'll be um, uh, we'll have the first sort of uh, list of uh, companies that we're investing in. Super. And um, what can you give us a glimpse of the kind oh. of products or the kind of sure. Um, sure, sure companies you're investing in? I mean. Critically, it's a, the critical thing is is you know is there a real gap in the market? Is is there a is there an idea here that will actually make a difference? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, is it solving a problem? And um, we've got one that actually went through the design council um, Spark program that we're looking very seriously at, which is a, a an ingenious device that uh, helps to send children to sleep in their cots or in their buggies. Gosh. Um, parents which parents will clamber over <laughs> to get to. Uh, another one is um, uh, fashionable footwear for um, the millions of people in the UK who are bunion sufferers. sufferers. Um, another one is looking at innovative battery storage. Um, oh, there's a wide variety of things. So uh, quite fascinating, actually. Yeah, I mean, and um, where do you see it in five years' time? Are you, do you have an, <laughs> the, a vision of the kind of products you're going to have? or the? Um, well, first of all, I think, I mean, we've got to be realistic um, uh, that we've got to create products that are successful so that we can continue the success of this, demonstrate the success mm. of this. There have to be successful outcomes. Uh, so we have to be very careful that we're choosing the winners mm-hmm. as well. Uh, but I, I would like to think that um, we are on the cusp of creating a whole new category of funding uh, here in the UK, and one that has probably been uh, needed for some time. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think that I am a huge believer in um, the digital revolution that is going on, but digital doesn't solve every problem. Mm. And I think do think that sometimes people fall into the trap of thinking digital is the solution, mm. not well-designed digital solutions. I'm quite fascinated by some of the sort of digital health um, innovation that's going on at the moment. But I do despair that um, sometimes some of the stuff that is being invented is not actually addressing a real need, doesn't really understand the user's problem in the first instance. Mm. Um, and is using technology to provide an answer to something, but yeah. what's the problem? What do you think makes for a good understanding of the user challenge? Um, 
Well, it's it's because I mean I'm I'm lucky. I've I've worked with Big Picture for over twenty or so years. I've been going for twenty years. Twenty coming up to twenty five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've known John and various people uh, in Big Picture for that long. Um, and I think you are probably one of the unique agencies that uh, really does embrace design in a in a in a quite different way. Um, what what provides what makes for really good insight? Well, first of all, it's it's actually spending time with people and trying to get beyond the obvious. I think too often people jump at the first, um, at the first insight or the first sort of awareness mm-hmm. and don't really get to the heart of what the problem or, so, the problem or the challenge actually is. Mm-hmm. So I think it is, uh, for me, there is nothing quite like um, spending time with people, spending time with a vi- wide variety of people, and really understanding what it is that is the, um, the, the heart of the situation that they find themselves in. I would absolutely agree, and I think um, one of the great challenges of, of the, uh, perhaps facing the design community <clears throat> is that it's very easy to design for yourself and the people that you know, but I think the world of social media has made it ever more clear that we live in a bubble. Yeah. And um, really, these design solutions need to work not just for you and your immediate network, but actually for people who are quite different from you in some ways and live in very different circumstances and in different cultures abroad and so on. Um, so, I mean, personally, I believe that insight is, uh, has a critical role to play in kind of opening, eye, opening eyes to that. Yeah. I think it's quite interesting. You were talking about technology and... and the technology is a great enabler. It allows us to make things happen more quickly, more immediately, and that. But it's a double-edged sword because mm. it means that sometimes you don't spend the time to really think things through and to really get to the heart of things. I had well, I was um, head of design at Safeway for for uh, a number of years, and Safeway, for those too young to remember, is a supermarket that. Uh, was very successful in the UK for a number of years and then was taken over by Morrisons. But uh, we inevitably um, employed and worked with design companies that had young people. And um, young people tend to design for young people. Mm. And um, so every three months or so, we take um, a tranche of the new designers who'd come on board out to store and uh, give them a list of things that they had to do in store buy some stuff, find out nutritional information, etc., etc. reach the things on the top shelf. And then we'd uh, deck them out in eyewear that, um, that resembled or replicated myopia, tunnel vision, some of the sort of, um, you know, eyesight challenges that many of our, many customers had, mm. um, and also put them in suits that replicated the sort of arthritic conditions that people have, and sent them off. And it was a very and for about three months afterwards. Always, <laughs> you had the most amazing designs that worked for everyone. Really, um, and I, I, I've, I've, um, I, I firmly believe that if you impl- actually, if you design for an older person, if you design for something that um, an older person can. Uh, make work for them mm. you probably design something that works better for everyone anyway so mm. and this is and this is one of the great challenges facing design and product design generally isn't it because we've got an aging uh, society yeah um do you think there's uh, an increasing pressure on design to come up with solutions to the uh, to the challenges we're going to face yeah i do um but i think that's an opportunity not not a not a problem i i genuinely think that 
I forget the statistics, but is it something like 50% of people will be over 65 by the um, nine, you know, 2040 or something? Like that. I can't remember exactly, but it's it's quite a staggering statistic. Um, and I think we have to recognise that society is undergoing a huge shift in many, many different ways. I mean, you know, the reality is that um, I, I was talking about digital health innovation earlier on. People, so many people think about apps and, you know, new technology that is going to um, make a difference. Mm. Well, to your point about understanding customer or understanding how people live their lives, there are huge swathes of people out there who, for whom technology is a frightening thing, not an enabling thing, yeah. who actually don't get online every day and uh, order their groceries or, you know, find out what's going on in the world. That's such an interesting area um, because, I mean, the NHS in this country is is facing huge challenges and many of it are unrelated to design. Actually, they're more related to politics and things like that. But do you think, um, what do you think can be done with design um, to help with the challenges facing the NHS and, you know, with, with budget cuts and staff shortages, is there something that design could be doing better to improve the healthcare experience of patients? Yeah, well, I, I actually think that um, if, if you put design at the heart of looking for solutions, you would probably find um, better ways of doing things that um, avoided duplication that avoided um, uh, some of the most basic things like appointments and wasted time in appointments. If you rethought that system, how much time could you actually save? Mm. I mean, I I do just think that system design, the the fundamentals behind product design, um, if you brought some of those things into addressing some of the bigger challenges, you would probably make a huge difference. Mm. And um, and even kind of thinking about uh, the built environment, because I know, just thinking back to your design council days, because I know the design council's remit is very broad. I mean, it's designed in the, in the broadest possible sense in some ways. Um, and one one of the pillars is thinking about the built environment, sure. isn't it? Sure, um, So perhaps it comes, as well as the technological solutions to things like appointments and the way that, that patients interact, but also there's... Um, it's thought that needs to go into the the architecture and the um, and the buildings themselves. Well, I think you're absolutely right, and I think that um, if you think of the challenges that we face here in the UK of building homes uh, in the next few years, the rate that we have to build homes, mm-hmm. but also then you marry that with what we were talking about earlier on in terms of the the shift in the, the shifting patterns in society. We have to be thinking about homes that um, will accommodate um, people living their lives in, in different stages of their lives mm-hmm. and how that more modular approach to um, living in homes can be adopted. We also need to think about how we, well, we are um, way behind the rest, much of the rest of the world in the way that we build our houses. Um, we have a, a world-leading automotive sector. Why can't we bring some of the technology and the innovation that we have in that sector into the construction mm-hmm. sector? Um, if uh, When I was at the Design Council, the number of times I visited ministers um, and they said, yes, we've just been to... 
um, Norway or Sweden or or, or <laughs> Holland or Germany to look at modular uh, off-site construction. Isn't it fantastic? Well, yes, but why aren't we doing it here in the UK? Because mm. we bloody well should be. Um, and uh, the, the, I, mean, I think there's, it's fantastic. There's lots of initiatives around that area. But we are going to have to radically rethink how we think about our homes mm. um, in the next few years. And there's a particular in this scenario which is particularly interesting for me because I, I worked in architecture before I came into ah, the big right. picture. Okay. Um, and I had some interaction with CAVE, which is the yep. uh, Commission, Commission for Architecture and the Built Environment. Sure. Yep. Um, and um, they are, which is now part of the Design Council. It is, yes. Um, and they're doing really interesting work in putting the user at, at the heart of um, the architecture and, the, and planning. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about... Um, the work which the design council was involved in with that. Sure. Uh, uh, the I mean, again, it, it follows exactly the same principle that you were talking about earlier on. That um, uh, good design actually produces better places for people to live mm-hmm. and work and play in. And um, one of the big challenges that many cities, uh, well, you know how cities are growing at uh, a, a, a pace at the moment. Um, but one of the big challenges that cities have is how do they think holistically about how people live in cities. Mm. And too often planning decisions uh, around individual buildings were made on that individual building, not how that individual building interacted with the rest of its space. Mm. Um, uh, too often uh, too much focus was on the building itself, not how it hit the ground yes, and how people lived and uh, operated around there. And so much of the work that CABE has been doing in recent years has been thinking more holistically about living in cities and how cities can become places that people want to come back to. I mean, I think, mm. you know, I'm sure you've heard of Tom Bloxham and Urban Splash. Yes, and, Urban Splash I have. And yeah. uh, the work that they did in sort of regenerating inner cities, Manchester, Liverpool, etc. Mm. When when most people were saying, don't be silly, that's never going to happen. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think he, they, they, you know, that's been proven incredibly well. You know, big cities like Manchester, Liverpool, London, mm. you know, the, the regeneration of inner cities. And I think Tom Bloxham and his guys are, are now absolutely committed to the whole idea of off-site mod, you know, modular construction um, and some of the concepts that they've been developing have been quite fascinating as well. So do you think, though, do you see the uh, modular, off-site modular constructions now taking a, a greater part of the cities of the future? I do, I do. But uh, I also think that um, our more traditional house builders, um, it may be a while for them to embrace some of that new technology mm. um, when uh, there's lots of motivations for them not to embrace that. And this is anyway, but I, that's string off design and uh, into politics. But it's interesting, though, because I think um, what I find interesting about the Design Council's uh, position is that it does sit between, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it does um, appear to me that it sits between the design community and it kind of mediates between the design community and the world, the world in which the design design has to operate, which is politics sure. and society and the bigger um, the bigger picture. Well, I think, uh, um, and it's not for lack of trying, but being clear about what the design council's role is is very important. Um, it's not, as many people think, um, there to represent design agencies. Mm. You have things like the Design Business Association and other and other like associations to really represent agencies. Uh, it is to represent design, mm. and it is to champion design as a 
um, as a leadership um, discipline um, and something that needs to be embraced in everything we do, really. One of my big concerns about the future is um, uh, are the lack of design-educated uh, um, people coming through the, dis- the, the education system. You know, if you think about the huge mm-hmm. fall in you know, youngsters taking art and design degrees at um, A-level because, because of the pressure that the government is putting on um, and the focus that the government is putting on STEM subjects alone. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and yet, on the one hand, the government is saying we believe in our industrial strategy, mm-hmm. that the creative industries is one of the five pillars that is going to underpin the future growth of the UK. But if that's what they're saying on the right hand, then they need to be supporting that on the left hand by encouraging the, uh, the you know creative mm-hmm. industries or creative subjects being taught at school and youngsters are seeing the creative industries as a credible alternative to becoming an engineer or a lawyer or whatever mm-hmm. else. Can you give us a flavour of some of the uh, some of the projects that uh, the the Design Council were involved in? Because you were you were CEO there for four Five. years, weren't you? Yeah. Uh, well, some of the things I was most proud of, um, I've sort of mentioned the Spark program, and if you think back to the origins of the Design Council, we we were set up in. Uh, 1944, just coming up to the end of the Second World War, but and I think the original, Winston Churchill and his government that originally sponsored the idea of the what was then the Council for Industrial Design, and it was about making sure that we came out of the war um, with a strong industry mm-hmm. in industrial design, because I think the, the government realised that we were going to have to build things and create things, and here was a fantastic new opportunity for Britain to be mm-hmm. really powerful in the world. I think, it, you know, in many ways, it's uh, some of the um, heritage of that is still evident today in, in our reputation that we have around the world. Um, so Spark, for me, was a fantastic throwback to 1944, which was actually about encouraging physical products mm-hmm. um, and you know, encouraging early innovation in physical products. So Spark was a, a great uh, programme, still ongoing, um, and I still follow the... Uh, the, the teams that go through it and uh, you know see how they're progressing. Um, the Design Academy was another initiative that we um, developed, which uh, again uh, came about from um, our work both with universities and with industry. And it's the Design Academy is about trying to meet the challenges that industry faces in looking for um, well-rounded, holistic designers who have the potential to become leaders in their in the sector mm. um, and the challenge of not enough of them coming through the education system and without being too critical of the education system although I, this is going to come across as critical I think too much of design and arts education is still um, uh, out of date and has not kept up with time and we talked earlier mm. on about the challenge that we all face with keeping up with technology, um, it must be incredibly difficult for um, universities, particularly more remote universities, mm. keeping up with what's going on in the world. Uh, I mean, I knew when I was chief executive at the Design Council how difficult even then I found it mm. to keep up with some of the latest developments. You must find exactly the same. Well, when I studied architecture, which was not that long ago, well, quite long ago, um, we, uh, our entire course, even though our CAD uh, was everywhere in the industry, 
um, our entire course was um, pencil and paper based from, <laughs> for three years. And I can remember coming out of it, um, coming out of it, and there was a, a tour at the end of the, my um, final year. They said um, we had a recruiter come in and said, "So presumably you're all very much up to speed with CAD uh, because that's what employers are going to be looking for." We could just look around each other and say, "No, why have we wasted three years? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, not wasted yeah. three years, but, but not but not properly utilised those three years. We well, won't. that's exactly the point. Mm. So that um, I also think that um, it, it's a it's about teaching youngsters the, the the importance of what design can actually achieve and what people are looking. For design to achieve in, in in the world today. So basically, what we did with the Design Academy was we took thirty to forty. You know, about, well, I think the first year we did five universities. The second year it was more. We took about thirty or forty of the um, students from the second year um, and mished them all up. So uh, people who'd worked in photography or people who worked in illustration or people who worked in graphics, suddenly they were all being thrust together. And that doesn't happen in mm. universities. And then we spent a day with them, teaching them some of the, the more fundamental principles about design. And then giving them a challenge, which was much more about a societal challenge and how design can actually address a societal challenge. Then worked with them, mentored them, whatever. And then they came to the Design Council and presented to a panel, which was all part of the part of the growing up and part of the confidence building and everything else. It was fantastic. My favourite quote was a student, you know, where you had to get, get them to do the evaluation for My favourite quote was a student who said, um, uh, absolutely wonderful, um, best thing I've done at university. Um, I now realise how design can actually change the world, not just design the next lot of wallpaper, which is what my father thinks it's all about. <laughs> and that was brilliant. The best thing of all um, was the uh, reaction from the teaching staff, who you might have thought, um, actually, you're treading on my territory and yeah. you know, get off my patch. But actually, the fundamentally opposite. They wanted, uh, they wanted to be part of it. They asked whether there could be something we could do for the teaching staff. So there's, there's clearly a willingness to learn and a willingness to change. Um, and, you know, education is, the whole education system is changing at such a pace. I'm, you've probably spotted I'm a governor at Falmouth University. Yes. We're doing some really innovative stuff down there. I mean, it's quite a leading, well, we won a gold at the, in the, in the, the teaching excellence framework. Which Congratulations. All, I think it's something like less than a third of universities actually got gold. So we're quite pleased with ourselves. Yeah. Um, but we're doing a quite innovative thing called Launchpad, which is sort of early in, early stage incubator um, uh, idea, uh, which uh, is growing tremendously and has got quite a... In fact, I saw in the paper in the Times this weekend that somebody... We, they were talking about... The paper was talking about where do you... Um, where should you go if you didn't want to live in London? Where could you they're talking about Falmouth as the shore ditch of the West? <laughs> <laughs> well, so, Fabulous reputation. That's good. It's good. It's good. Uh, so, the, so Design Academy was something I was incredibly pleased with. Back, um, it, literally the year after I joined, we did this amazing um, thing called Beyond 2012, where we um, recognised and um, celebrated all the design that had gone into making the Olympics a success. Mm. And uh, we had a great party in the uh, Olympic Village, which uh, which just showcased absolutely everything that had been done. And it's amazing how much, you know, not just the buildings, but some of the innovation around the athletes' clothing, mm. the, 
postage stamps that were developed. You know, I, I could go on and on. It was a it was a fabulous showcase Fa- for, fabulous show for um, British design for British design. Yeah, and I, you know, I always think of the the Heatherwick uh, cauldron yeah, as right. um, almost like the centerpiece. Have um, you ever heard Thomas um, Heatherwick talk about it? No. Uh, it was, uh, if you if you ever get the chance, it's brilliant. He he says, um, you know, what they said was to me was. Um, uh, we want something compact with no moving parts. <laughs> and if, do you remember? <laughs> yeah. It was however many individual flames, <laughs> complete opposite. <laughs> um, yes, um, and, and Heatherwick in particular really fascinates me as a as a designer, almost because you can't easily pigeonhole him no. because you know you, well, his products do span. Without wishing to. Um, um, expand his head. I mean, he's a sort of modern day Brunel. You know, he can turn his hand to mm. most things. And if you think back to Brunel, he was an artist, he was a poet, he was a designer, he was an engineer. Yeah. Um, you know, I think in many respects, some of the um, uh, downside of our education system today is that it um, pigeonholes us far too much mm. um, and we don't become the sort of polyglot that. Um, you know, people like Brunel. Yeah, were. and perhaps that comes back to your point about the design academy about bringing together different disciplines um, and the and the beauty, beautiful things that can come out of that. Well, I think I think um, uh, collaborative ways of working are definitely the future, mm. and I do think that design has a huge role to play as um, as a real um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for stimulus in that. Because I think because design puts the user absolutely at the heart of everything they do, it can actually drive a project mm. in a very meaningful way. So it can always bring a project back to reality when it's straying off course. Um, it can stimulate by bringing the user into the equation. Mm. You know, research for me is, is an essential part of design because it's just bringing the user back into the mix and using the customer, the user, whatever, to help steer a program uh, in the right direction. I suppose my last one that I was particularly proud of was uh, um, we, Design Council led a consortium of around 14 different organisations around Europe. We set up this Design for Europe programme and the Design for Europe programme was about um, celebrating and, and recording and promulgating the best of design from across Europe. It's just slightly unfortunate that Britain is no longer going to be in Europe. But there we go. Well, that, yeah, that does really, um, <laughs> naturally lead to a question I was going to ask, which is, um, and you mentioned when we talked about the Olympics earlier, you said um, Britain's. I noticed you very pointedly said we've got a fantastic reputation for design. Yes. Um, do you think we still have that reputation um, within within Europe? And how do you think Brexit will change things? Well, I think, first of all, I think Britain has a fantastic reputation for design around the world. When I was at the Design Council, um, it was, uh, I was uh, constantly staggered by the people who came to the Design Council uh, because they still saw the um, some of the reports, some of the work that the Design Council was doing, some of the stuff that was coming out of Britain as leading the way. Um, and you know, uh, that has a reputation that has not diminished at all. Um, what are the challenges around um, uh, around Europe? I think the biggest challenge probably um, is the free flow of talent. Mm-hmm. I think that would be um, uh, a, a backward step if we were not to embrace the sort of talent 
and design talent that came from other parts of the world. I think that's part of what has made us great, that ability to um, aggregate and synthesize and to, you know, to bring on board uh, fresh thinking. So I would hope that we can somehow manage to continue that. My view is Brexit is happening. Um, let's embrace it. I think it probably gives us more opportunities for the design world, as many opportunities as challenges, and we just need to go out and embrace it. Really. What do you think those opportunities are? Well, I think those opportunities are um, uh, to actually um, build on the great design work that we do. Mm. Um, you know, the um, uh, there's also exchange rate um, opportunities that will come along as well. So mm. suddenly. Uh, buying into Britain is not maybe as expensive as uh, a proposition as it once was. Um, so let's make the most of that. And working across Europe, you must have um, gained even wider exposure to the different approaches to design or the different thinking around design. What can Britain learn from the rest of Europe in terms of um, design thinking and approaches to design? Well, I think that the, the, the first thing is that although we have got this tremendous reputation, and in many, many respects, it's, it's justified. What we mustn't do is sit in our laurels mm. um, because there are um, not pockets, but real areas of strength around Europe that we can learn from. So, for instance, Estonia, um, um, every single decision, uh, every single political decision in Estonia is based on design thinking, has design thinking underpinning it. Really? Um, yeah. Um, because you know they've started from scratch. Um, they've um, and they thought, well, how are we going to do this really well? Well, let's let's do it this way. It just means that you have much better um, policies that are much more integrated, um, get through the system more quickly. Um, you have less dissatisfaction in the population. I mean, it's a much smaller population, obviously. Mm. Um, it, it just makes for better government. I also think that um, uh, you know our digital capability in the UK uh, and our our uh, platform our, our you know the our, the um, our broadband capabilities etc we are well behind many many other European countries and we need to be careful about that um, so I think there's lots that we can learn I mean you're uh, you've got an extensive CV where you've we've worked in design well, agencies because I'm old that's why <laughs> Um, you've, but you've worked, you've worked in industry, you've worked um, Design Council and BIDA and you're working at um, the British Design Fund, um, Falmouth University. So you've, you've seen design across um, a wide remit and you've seen design across Europe. Yeah. Has this given you any great insights about what makes great design? For me, great design is still about passion. The um, the best design is, comes from people who are passionate about it, who mm. believe in it, um, who craft it. And crafting isn't just about you know fine detailing, but it's about thinking things through, rethinking things through. Let's have another round the houses on this one. Make sure we've got it absolutely right. So it's people who are passionate, meticulous, um, care. Um, that uh, still actually to me uh, make a make a difference. Um, I do think that uh, people are increasingly seeing design as a leadership skill. So I think things like Johnny Ive being um, made chief design officer. I famous, you know quoted a while ago saying that in ten years' time, if every company doesn't have a chief design officer, then um, there, there'd be something wrong 
Mm. I, I'm, you know, I still hope that might happen. Well, it's happening, isn't it? I mean, um, PepsiCo have got one. Yeah. Um, uh, 3M have got one. Philips. Yeah. Uh, there are... IBM. IBM, yeah. yeah it's Who'd have ever thought that IBM would employ a thousand designers uh, in a couple in a two or three year time period and um, uh, put design at the very heart of what their business operations are all about I mean mm. who would ever have thought that do you think do you think ago? there is a changing attitude to design within business generally well I think um, uh, uh, I mean famously um, was it 2016 I think it probably was there was the Harvard Business Review um, uh, uh, not feature, but um, publication. You know, one of the uh, um, one of the magazines was all about design thinking, and I think that woke up a lot of people to thinking. Well, he, you know, um, design thinking, is, and and we, I think the design industry is the thing that needs to change from thinking of us being as a, uh, the design industry as a support organisation or support industry to one of being a leadership industry. Mm. Um, I think we should think of ourselves as a a management discipline that um, can actually change the way that people think about it. And you just need to look at the McKinsey's and EY and all the rest of it, buying up design companies like they're going out of fashion. They recognise it. Mm. Um, so if they're recognising, it's time the design industry sat up and recognised it as well. And what do you think that looks like? What do you, how, where do you see the design industry in five years' time if they do wake up and recognise design as a leadership function well I think I think the design industry needs to needs to recognize that they they um, mustn't um, simply sit under the mantle of a McKinsey or a, an EY or, or a PwC or whoever um, we've got to um, take the responsibility into our own hands mm. and uh, drive that forward and that means innovative it means having the right individuals uh, it means about having designers who are leaders who can sit with a CEO and talk meaningfully about their world but also um, their world in the context of the design world mm. um, in the same way that Jonathan and I've, I mean uh, in reality um, Apple um, would not have been as successful as it was today if Steve Jobs didn't take Jonathan Ives into the top table mm. and actually involve him in the decision making mm. process yeah, I remember reading in the Jobs biography that um, Jobs uh, plucked uh, Johnny Ive from some studio when he when uh, Jobs came back from his uh, Exodus at Next. It was um, Tangerine. Tangerine, that's it. So, yeah. yeah, and found him uh, crafting uh, the iMac uh, and found it and thought that's a great product. I'm going to bring yeah. you with me. Yeah, and then that created one of the great design partnerships of all time. Of all really. time, yeah. No, that's right. How did you find your way into design? Um, well, um, it was through it was through innovation actually. I um, I'm, I started my well, I did a law degree and then I did an MBA and then I um, worked at Cadbury's and Lions um, in sort of classic graduate marketing train. You know, graduate marketing trainee did everything, mm. blue charts, like you said, with pen and paper, you know, etc. Um, and then I I jumped ship and I um, worked for a, a sort of advertising and innovation agency and it was through innovation really that I came to the design concept and I worked for a fabulous, well I worked for an offshoot of Michael Peters, very famous design organisation back in the day and we worked in a, uh, I worked in a part of it called Brand New which, which had 
product design, the early stirrings of service design, graphic design, um, user interface, the whole thing. We and we we designed tram systems for Sheffield, and we did all sorts of weird and wonderful things. And I think it was at that point that I realised the power of design to think holistically about solutions mm. was a really fascinating subject. And it sort of grew from there, really. And I've just been very lucky. I've been very lucky to have been able to land on my feet at the right time in the right place. So I just think um, the world is such a fascinating place. And I think that you're never too old to learn something new. And... I think uh, that's what drives me, really, mm. is um, new challenges. Um, always wanting to get out of bed thinking, I'm looking forward to today, um, and I'm going to do something different and interesting. So, And um, what, how does that relate to design? Well, I think it's about um, actually... Uh, you know, we are surrounded by a hugely changing world. And I do some, I mean, I'm sure we all despair sometimes of how you keep up with things. And I do think that design is, designing the way that we live our lives is actually uh, the, probably the biggest challenge that um, as a society we face and as individuals we face. Mm. So just thinking about it like that. So that's it from John. Uh, he's definitely someone who's looking at the bigger picture of design. Um, and it was really interesting to hear how putting the user at the heart of the creative process can have a really positive social impact in areas that touch our everyday lives, like healthcare, education, and the built environment. Uh, you can find out more about the work of the British Design Fund at britishdesignfund.co.uk. Um, and that's about it. So I hope you found that interesting. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to get insight automatically downloaded to your phone. Um, there might be a bit of a pause before the next one, but I'm going to say it's worth the wait because I'm excited to say we'll have something of a cult figure in the world of design, Dan Germain of Innocent. So make sure you're subscribed and you'll get that when it's available. Uh, if you are enjoying the podcast, please do share it with your colleagues and your friends. Uh, you can follow us at On Design Podcast on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, thanks as always to Reese for his patient production support. Uh, and until next time, bye for now.